Thanks, Dad. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. How we doing? It's good to see so many people here. I hear some honks in the parking lot. Thanks for joining us this morning. So we're changing up our series on 1 Peter a little bit. I'm sorry, my sense of humor slips out sometimes. And uh, So uh, today is the last day to turn in your Dream With Us survey that's at the front table. We are hoping to hear from you on that, and the elders are going to be reviewing those over the next few weeks, and we're going to be putting everything together uh, to share with the congregation. So if we haven't heard from you with those filling out of those surveys, please finish that up and take care of that. Happy Mother's Day. I'm glad you're here with us. So... uh, we're going to add to, in the, uh, all right, let me give you the under the hood preacher's mind view a minute. So uh, today our sermon, I'll just share with you, uh, it's a couple scoops of Mother Day, it's a couple scoops of our continuing topic, humility, it's a dash of First Peter, it's a dash of Proverbs 31 few sprinkles of other things there, stick it all in the blender, and voila, you have the thought process of Calvin's sermon today. But I think we'll have some fun. We're going to uh, look at some good stuff along the way. And uh, next week, Mike is going to be preaching for us. Uh, Alicia and I are heading out of town for a couple days uh, up to Lincoln City. Don't kind of, don't try to find us, please. Uh, Uh, Mike always has good things to say. He's a thoughtful guy, so you won't want to miss that, so be here for that. So as we get started this morning, do you ever think about why computers are so smart? Because they listen to their motherboard. (laughs) I know, it's pretty bad. (laughs) Well, I'm happy to honor our mothers this morning. Because motherhood is honored in Scripture. Paul calls out the mother of Timothy and, in fact, Timothy's grandmother. He honors them for being the ones who have passed on this legacy of faith, who have given Timothy a vision of what he can be in the Lord and what he believes. So let's look uh, of 2 Timothy 1.5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. A legacy of faith. So if Paul can call out moms and grandmothers uh, for the virtue of their lives, I think I can too. This is a good thing. And I want to be on my best behavior this morning, although... uh, Uh, I try to always be on my best behavior, and uh, sometimes I fail, but even more so this morning, because not only do I have my mom here, I also have my mother-in-law in in town. So what Paul is affirming with Timothy in his letter is that motherhood at its best, at its best, it's a process of discipleship. Motherhood has the potential to develop our faith, to develop our character. Paul talks about faith as a living legacy, moving through the generations, a kind of inheritance that we pass on, an inheritance of 
character that we are able to pass on. Sincere faith, it propagates sincere faith. So it moves, we see here, from Lois to Eunice to Timothy. And uh, that speaks of the potential of what motherhood can be. Now, it's always a bit tricky talking about fatherhood or motherhood because some of us live in a reality where we've had to deal with the burden of some very broken and dysfunctional parents. Some of us are carrying wounds from broken parents, carrying wounds from absent parents or parents who have abandoned us, parents who've lived largely selfish and self-serving lives. But the Scripture speaks about the ideal and the potential of what a good parent can be. And uh, the Scriptures invite us to use fatherhood and motherhood as a lens through which we understand what God is like, to understand something about what the Lord our God is like. So beyond your particular situation with your mom, Uh, We need to remember that we are called as a community to be a family for each other. That means there are all kinds of potential mothers here in this building. Uh, the, The family of God holds the potential to help us thrive in a process of mutual discipleship. That means this building is filled with all kinds of moms and dads and brothers and sisters, parents, children. And uh, uh, that's the way we are supposed to hold these relationships that we have. So there's a a very touching moment, and it just goes by so briefly at the end of Romans 16, when Paul is sending personal greetings to uh, the church in Rome, friends there. It says this, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mom and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. He just kind of would run right by that normally. But Paul, think about this. A single guy, uh, away from any actual family he may have had, in a mission field and in a church, we find that Rufus has a mom that's so full of motherly affection that she has taken in Paul as well and mothered him as well. And that's the potential that we have in church. So I think that as families in our modern culture continue to fragment and deteriorate, it's going to become crucial for God's church to be more and more uh, a family, the family of God, to bring stability, to bring love, um, to love the people well who God brings through our doors. I'm amazed at the people that God brings through our doors sometimes. Uh, sometimes, but uh, we need to learn how to love each other well and disciple each other well. This isn't new. You, you hear me talk about this stuff all the time. I think the messes that people bring, though, the brokenness that they bring with them in, into our building, uh, first of all, all of us bring stuff, but I think the messes of people in this community that they're going to bring through our front doors here at the Eugene Church of Christ, they're going to be more and more significant things that only real love will be able to handle and deal with, and deal with well. But beyond the potential moms and grandmas that we maybe have in this congregation, 
the best and ideal mother available to us is the Lord God himself. I know that sounds strange and a strange way to think of that. So not only is God a better father than the most ideal father, he's also a better mother than the, the most ideal and perfect mother you can imagine. Uh, not in a sense that God ever tries to replace fathers or mothers. He doesn't. He honors that role. He makes space for it. He never tries to usurp the role, that special role of presence in a person's life. But all the attributes that make up the ideal mom, all of the things behind what makes mom so great, the fullness and completion of these things, the perfection of them, it lives in God. So the motherliness of God, in our language we use, in referring to God, we constantly use the masculine uh, for describing these paternal attributes of God, God the Father, which is great. Uh, but the Bible also describes many of the feminine or motherly qualities of God uh, as well. The fullness and completion of these, the perfection of these virtues that are found in fatherhood or motherhood, they find their source and their fulfillment in God himself. So is your mom a nurturer? So is God. Is your mom compassionate? So is God. Does your mom love you unconditionally? So does God, and then some. Our moms, they spend hours thinking about their kids and worrying about them sometimes. Uh, if you get a real helicopter mom like uh, Denise Foreman, she's constantly tracking her kids on her iPhone. Well, maybe you did or didn't have a nurturing mom or a compassionate mom or a loving mom. Not only is God better than the most ideal mother, he is also all of the things that our mothers were not able to be for us. So some language that kind of shares this a little bit. Uh, the prophet Isaiah. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. I will not forget you. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. Jesus Christ himself even used motherly kind of language uh, to describe his heart and his longing for relationship. In Luke chapter 13, he says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Very moving, touching language. And even in our study of Peter, we see that Peter has used the language of motherhood. He tells us, admonishes us, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So now let me say a word about motherhood as it relates to beauty. 
uh, and we began to talk about this a little bit last week. So I was talking to Alicia about Peter's description of beauty. You remember that from chapter 3? Um, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So we unpack that a little bit. Peter never actually ties beauty to the package, to the vessel that it's in. Uh, so that means the right body shape, nice legs, uh, pretty smile, the right hair, the right eye color. Uh, he never ties beauty to the physical body package. And Peter also says that beauty shouldn't come from the ways that we decorate our package. We have fun decorating our package, some of us more than others. Uh, but our beauty needs to come from someplace deeper. And then Alicia said this to me. She said, you probably already thought about this, but Peter never talks about physical beauty the way that Proverbs 31 never talks about physical beauty. And uh, I was kind of like, uh, sure, I guess I've thought about that, but I really hadn't. <laughs> And as I thought, as I kind of held that, I thought, you know, that's pretty profound because uh, when I got married to Alicia, I read Proverbs 31 because I thought this is that kind of woman. And she said, you know, it didn't mean that much to me when you read that to me as a young woman. But now I think about that and it means a lot to me. And uh, I always think of Proverbs 31 as dealing with the ideal of beauty what a beautiful woman, what a beautiful mother can become. And I'd rev never really thought about how this beauty is exclusively tied to character and doesn't have anything to do with the outward package or our adornment or decoration. It's not about the way we frost the cake. So let's just remind ourselves the words from Proverbs 31. Not all of them, but just a few of them I'm going to pull out from uh, 31, 10 through 12. A wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She is clothed, clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Uh, good stuff there. Um, last Sunday, we talked about the connection between beauty and humility. And for a wife or a mother to become this kind of ideal, which we read about in Proverbs 31, to become that kind of woman, it's going to take a lot of humility. And let me just say again, this, this isn't just for mothers. 
This isn't whether you're single or married, uh, whether you're a child, a father, a mother, a spouse, a friend, a sibling. Whatever your relationship is and how you come here, what connections you have or don't have, humility, it makes all relationships better. It makes all relationships better. So th I think about it this way. I cannot obtain... The, see, God has a dream for Calvin Gruen. He's got a dream of the man, the, the preacher, um, the servant of his that I can become, the potential of what I can be. He has that for each one of us. And it's not one size fits all. It's unique to you and crafted to you. Specific work that God would love to accomplish through you in your life that he can only accomplish with you in partnership together. So that means to become the Calvin Gruen that God intends me to be, it's going to take a whole lot of humility. It's going to take time. And it's going to take me a lot of learning uh, through the circumstances of life. So... Uh, what do you think of that photo? All this technology is making us antisocial. I just threw this in there. Well, first of all, it made me laugh. Uh, so out in the cars, let me describe this. First of all, you have a whole bunch of people sitting at, in line waiting for a, a subway car or something like that, and they're all looking at their phones. And it says all this technology is making us antisocial. And then above that, there's... Uh, a picture from like the 1930s or 20s or something like that. And all these people are sitting there with their newspapers. Uh, and they're not looking, not making eye contact, not talking, they're not. So I put this in there because I'm pretty critical of, I'm a harsh critic of the times that we live in. Throughout the ages, though, there have been problems with the human condition that have always been there. Uh, we've always had a propensity toward certain things. Uh, any kind of vice, it has always been there. Now, we glorify it in certain ways in this culture uh, that is, seems to be new and unique and uh, disturbing. But the Bible is relevant for us because it addresses humanity and the human condition and all of the problems that are common to humanity. You know, living in another culture, in another side of the world, uh, I had a lot of learning to understand the way those people thought and behaved, and, but I was always amazed at how applicable the Bible is to even animists from an uh, African traditional religion culture halfway around the world, a very primitive people, a very uh, spirit-filled reality kind of people, uh, the Bible is relevant, constantly relevant, continually relevant, because it deals with the issues of the human condition. I don't know if that's ever struck you or amazed you, but when I talk about humility, humility isn't just good for the people who live before us. Humility, we see throughout history, has been something that God has used to build love. And we learn humility 
through the circumstances of our life. So like we're talking about Mother's Day today, being a parent will teach you humility in a way that you didn't learn just being married. Marriage will teach you humility in a way that being single would not teach you necessarily. Being single, uh, even the circumstances of our life, having to get along with roommates, trying to navigate jobs and our situations of single life, if you let it, those things, you can learn humility in that place too. All of these circumstances are there for us to be able to learn humility. So the reason I want to push our discussion of humility a little bit further, not just because it's all over in First Peter, but because humility is a lot of times misunderstood by us. We think of it as, woe is me, come, come, hey, everyone come wipe your feet on Calvin's back. And I'm supposed to take some kind of adverse pleasure in being belittled and ignored and uh, spoken ill of. That's not what humility is. That's not the, what Jesus calls us to or invites us to. Uh, and so we talked about what does it mean to be humil- uh, humble. Uh, but this morning I want to shift the conversation a little bit because even if we recognize humility as being a good thing, not a lot of us know how do you become more humble. How do you become more humble? We don't, know, uh, we don't exactly know how to take a hold of it. We don't know exactly how to grab it sometimes. And so I've been having this conversation with, with people. Uh, I've been thinking about it myself. We think about it as something good, but for many of us, it kind of remains elusive. Uh, for example, when I was a younger guy, I got a medal one time for being humble. Humble. But then they took it away from me for wearing it. <laughs> so 1 Peter 3 and Proverbs 31, they give us this picture of what true beauty is. A humble person is an attractive person. A humble person is beautiful. But how do we obtain this beauty? How does a person actually become more humble? So that's the question I want to try to deal with a little bit this morning. We can't actually become more humble by deciding, you know what, I woke up this morning, I realized my pride is a little bit out of check, I just am going to be more humble now. And I've just decided, and I'm not turning around, and I'm going to be more humble. Well, becoming humble, it takes more than just our will. You don't just decide it. It's not just in our heads and knowledge. It has to be lived somehow in our lives. So there is a spiritual secret of indirection. And what that means is we grow in things, uh, uh, we grow into our ability to do things that are currently beyond our abilities now or our capacity. The spiritual uh, secret of uh, indirection is that I do things that I am able to do now in order to do things that I'm not currently able to do. Does that make sense to you? So, uh, there's a lot of my life, I was able to bench press multiple reps more than 300 pounds. I am not currently able to bench press more than 300 pounds, I don't think. If, we, if I tried, it would be a scary thing. Uh, but there are things that I can do that would allow me to work back up to that again. Uh, if I were to say to you, hey, uh, uh, 
Corey, go run a marathon right now. Or uh, Ashley, well, Ashley might, she runs some. She might be able to get closer to that. Uh, How many of you would actually be capable of doing that? Now, there are things that we could do to train that would allow us to do things that we are currently incapable of doing. That applies to the spiritual life as well. Now, a lot of times we don't think about the, the things of our spiritual life, things like cultivation of virtue as something we exercise at and train at. But really, it is supposed to be. And if we took the level of intense, uh, intentionality that someone could invest in learning how to play golf well, if you applied that to discipleship and trying to grow in virtue, this land would be filled with spiritual giants. But we don't think of bringing that level of commitment and discipline and training into our spiritual lives a lot of times. We know humility maybe is a good thing in theory. To live that out in reality, it seems elusive to us. How do I become more humble? Well, we do some of the things that are in our ability to do. so Peter, he sa- I said last week, he mentioned a lot of these little sisters of humility, I call them. While I can't make myself humble, I can decide to find ways to submit in some circumstances for the Lord's sake. That means that I don't have to always have it my way. And when I don't always have to have it my way, if I learn submission, submission will teach me humility. So if I have, as a parent, uh, my way or a highway mentality, hey, this is just the way it is. I, so I think it's good to have firm boundaries. I think it's good to have clear expectations for our children, whether I'm the mom or the dad or whatever my role. But if my, I have a my way or the highway mentality, this is my house and I am harsh with that, I can break relationship and I can break my children. Because that inflexible spirit, it defeats humility. It defeats relationship, unity. It can even defeat love. That means I shouldn't have rules or boundaries. So some of these little sisters of humility, just like we talked about. Wow, that slide turned out awful in the way it translated. Okay, the little sisters of humility. uh, Submission. From 1 Peter 2, 13 through 18, 3, 1, and 7. Humility is tied to submission. So if I learn to submit to the circumstances I have, it'll teach me about humility. 1 Peter 2, 12, humility is tied to good deeds. So if I'm active in good deeds, those good deeds can teach me humility. 3, 2, humility is tied to purity and reverence. Purity and reverence are things that I will not participate in because of my understanding of who God is. I am pure and holy from certain activities and things. That I, there are lines that I won't cross. That can teach you humility. Humility is tied to beauty in 1 Peter 3, 4. Beauty is tied to a gentle and a quiet spirit. So learning to be gentle, it can teach me humility. Learning to have quietness of spirit, to not be all just like churned up and anxious about everything, 
learning how to be still before the Lord, that can teach me a bridge to help me learn humility. Does that make sense? So when I was a new dad, uh, I didn't, it sounds weird to say, I didn't want to carry my child because when Caitlin was first born, our oldest daughter, she was six pounds. She was all just like arms and legs. And I'm this huge guy. And I've never been like a baby guy, you know, until later on I became a baby guy. Uh, but I, I didn't know how to hold this little thing. I thought, am I going to break this? Is this, is this going to, I had to learn how to become gentle. And so, you know, I'm 6'6 and 280 pounds, and I'm not a small man. And this six-pound baby I had, I got comfortable. And I'd hold Caitlin, her head right here, her little body would be here, and her little arms, little legs there, and I held all my kids like this. I'd just go around like this. I'd talk, and I'd start gesturing, baby flying around, you know. I knew how to be gentle and carry her in that way. I go into this buffet restaurant. I don't remember what it was called. Something like a Golden Corral or a, I think it was called Lubies or something. Lubies, yeah, that was it. We'd go in there to get a lube job. <laughs> but I remember walking into this with this brand new little baby that I had heard, learned how to be gentle with and hold. And the, the whole restaurant just stopped and everyone was quiet and all of these gray heads, and they're just looking at this huge guy carrying this itty-bitty little baby walking around, and there was all these smiles, and I was smiling at them. We were talking to people. I had to learn how to be gentle in the right ways with my kids. So that gentleness, learning that, had to ha has to continue in my life. So then later on, with teenage daughters then, I have to learn how to be gentle in new ways, which sometimes means I've had to learn how to say I'm sorry to Caitlin or Sadie or Haley. And I have to own some of my own brokenness. And so I, it's changed throughout the years, but the potential for teaching me humility has always been there. For them to learn it from me, for me to learn it from them, all these relationships that people give us, or, or that the Lord gives us, we have the potential to learn some humility there. And uh, I say, I think our make or break as a church is going to be based on how well we learn humility. So 1 Peter 3, 8, he says, Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. So harmony, which is unity, harmony of thought, thinking the same way, that can teach us humility. If we are a sympathetic people, if we are able to walk in someone else's shoes, love, brotherly love, this unmerited favor and desire of goodness for my brother or sister in Christ, if you have that kind of heart, it'll teach you humility. If you have compassion, um, splanknos, I think is, I can't remember the Greek word exactly, but that gut feeling, if it's in your guts, if it makes your liver quiver and uh, that kind of feeling and that kind of interaction with someone else, that will teach me about humility. See, all of these virtues are tied so closely together. I think of the goal of the Christian life. It's to become love. 
It's to become love. And just like we don't know how to just become humble because one day I decide I'm going to be humble. A lot of times we think, oh, I know I need to be more loving. We've got all of these love things on. Uh, and so we think, okay, I'll just, by my will, I'll do that. You don't become love just by deciding it. You have to live that in the reality of, of life and the circumstances that the Lord has planted you in that are going to force you to be patient, kind. Uh, I have to learn how to refuse to envy, how to refuse to boast. See, humility is a precondition for love. We know that love is the greatest. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. If we learn humility, humility will teach us love. Love is where we need to get, people. So these sisters of humility that Peter gives us, harmony, sympathy, brotherly love, compassion, to the extent we grow into these, we learn humility as well. Does that make sense? So it's all this kind of language. I'm talking about this spiritual secret of indirection. We do the things that are within our power so I can grow to the point where the things I can't currently do that are currently beyond my ability, I grow into my ability to do those things. And it takes time. So last week, some friends texted me a list of things that we can do to grow in humility. And I, I, I went through these because I think, I think the virtue and the idea behind them, it, it, it's there and it comes out in specific actions that we can do. So what are specific ways that we could be more humble? How do we grow our humility? I'm just trying to get us out of, the, out of our heads into real-life circumstances. Weigh the word of critics. So... I'm not saying that, you know, there aren't just foolish people who say dumb things and their intent is to hurt you and upset you and throw you off. Uh, and those things you can dismiss. But if there is a sincere criticism, you have to ask the question, is there truth to this? Is there truth to what they're saying? Is there a lesson I can learn here? Uh, we can involve ourselves in menial tasks. Not because they're menial, but because they need to be done. And maybe they're thankless sometimes. Moms understand this probably better than anyone else in this room. We can ask wise and trusted family and friends about blind spots. If I want to know what I need to work on, I can probably ask my wife and kids. And I might not like what they he to hear what they have to say, but there are things that I can work on. Uh, uh, people that you work with, the elders over you, um, people uh, above you as employers, people under you. If you have a spirit of humility, there's, a, there's no shortage of things that you can learn. You can ask God. God, I, I pray for humility because I believe that God has my best interest at heart. And he knows what's going to break me and when I need to be broken and when I need to be nurtured, when he needs to be gentle and compassionate with me. God is perfect at this, and I trust in that. So I pray for humility. Uh, if we express gratefulness, thanksgiving expressed, it can build humility because it speaks to the re way reality is. Reality, the middle of reality, it's a triune heart of love, 
of the full sufficiency of God, uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternally loving, eternally in submission. That is the heart of reality. And when I speak to that reality, to the glory of God, that teaches something to me. When I speak the truth of uh, someone who has done an honorable thing, that is in line with reality. And uh, that is something that can teach me humility as well. So listening, listening to others instead of talking about yourselves. It's the abil- humility gives us the ability to let other people shine. That moves us away from, okay, so uh, whatever our role is that you're in, we have areas that we're supposedly competent in. But this means if I have a level of humility, I am happy to disciple others and honor them and honor them even when they can do better than me. And uh, so for me, if I was to have a, a preaching intern or something, Humility would allow me to not feel upset that the guy was a better preacher than I was. Humility would allow me to celebrate that. You get, you get it? And whatever our area is, allowing a, a kind of heart that lets people shine. Simple things. Kneeling in prayer. That is putting a physical uh, action you know, we can learn spiritual truths through physical actions. Um, kneeling in prayer, bowing our heads, signs of, you know, just humbling ourselves before the Lord. We, we close our eyes sometimes when we pray. That can be that simple act of humility, that simple getting down on your knees. That, that physical motion can teach us some kind of reality. It can teach us some kind of lesson. So I think that's a really good one as well. And something along the lines of that, I'll come to that. Now here's another one. This is tied to submission more. Letting authorities make final decisions. We all know authorities, sometimes they get it wrong. And we have a culture of skepticism where we are meant to question anyone in authority. It's a horrible culture to be a leader in because everything is under scrutiny. Everything is up for grabs. The Lord's church, if you learn how to submit yourselves, first of all, to God and the Scripture, you are just going to grow leaps and bounds in humility. You learn to submit yourself to your elders, even when they say something and ask something of us that you don't necessarily agree with, you will learn humility. A brother and sister in Christ We learn how to submit to one another for the sake of the Lord. We are going to grow leaps and bounds in learning humility. Being able to ask forgiveness for wrongs that you have done. Some people, have you seen people? And I know we all have seen people like this who are incapable of admitting mistakes incapable of saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. What a terrible burden to live that kind of life where you can never say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. 
But when you move to the point where you're able to do that, something breaks open inside of you. Being able to confess your sins, that releases incredible spiritual power. I was wrong. Sharing your brokenness with someone, uh, a trusted someone, uh, being able to be real and not manage an image, that grows humility in us. Praise and honor for others, uh, this becomes easy. It becomes easy to praise people when they do praiseworthy things, to honor people who have done honorable things. That's why it's easy for me to come and preach about uh, Mother's Day, uh, because motherhood is honorable. And we have all of these honorable mothers, and if not mothers, grandmothers. Uh, we got great-greats in here who are doing honorable things. And it's easy if you have a humble heart to give praise when praise is due. Prayer and fasting teaches us humility. Um, if we spend the time doing it, if we put in the hours, you can learn to be humble. Sacrificial giving. Uh, you know, this, this, we were looking Wednesday night about these weird dynamics of Peter attacking issues related to wealth. We get... There are complications tying mammon and wealth of this world with the treasure that God offers us. So learning to move against self-sufficiency that I think I have because of what's in my bank account or my 401k or my Roth IRA, when I free those resources and turn them over to be used for kingdom purposes, that can teach you a lot of humility. That is saying, I refuse to manage people or manipulate with these resources anymore or to use them for my own good, but I'm going to entrust them to someone else's care where I do not control that anymore. That's humility that's being learned. Uh, testimony of God's grace. We just talk about the Lord and what he's done for us. You just talk about how good, how good God is. You just spend, you know, the real saints that I see uh, in this world, they can't stop talking about Jesus Christ and how beautiful Jesus is. And that is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives, in our hearts. It is speaking to the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. That's the humility of the Holy Spirit and his gift welling up inside of us. Service. Service is so important. Whether that task is meaning, menial, and whether it's thank, thankless, whether it's if you just make yourself a servant in some way and stick with it. And when the praise doesn't come, you hand that over to God. And when you're ignored and it doesn't come, you, you hand that over to God. That those circumstances, they become our teachers. So think about this, this list that I've given you. So to grow humility, first of all, you ask for the Lord's help. Pray about it. Lord, can you teach me about humility? Second, I've noticed that humility is, there's a positive correlation uh, with humility, and it's affected by the spiritual disciplines of service and the discipline of secrecy. Uh, that we can just do things without anyone knowing as a way to glorify God and say, no one sees this but you, Lord. 
and I'm giving this to you as a spiritual sacrifice because I love you. That will teach you humility. What that is, is that you're learning to perform to the right audience and to the one person whose opinion and uh, word matters. Uh, you pray enough, you're going to grow in humility. You're going to grow in love. A person who learns thanksgiving, uh, constantly thanking God, they grow in humility. And the last one I want to mention, and this wasn't on the list necessarily, growth in wisdom. It goes, grows parallel with growth in humility. So James says it this way, who is wise and understanding among you, let him show it by his good life, by deeds that are done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The humility that comes from wisdom. You grow, and we know how we get wisdom. We ask the Lord for it, James says. Ask the Lord if you need wisdom. And when you get wisdom, you're going to find other gifts accompanying that as well, especially humility. Okay. Last of all, let me just say, humility is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Dad, if you want to come up here, I'm just wrapping up. Humility, we do what we can, but in the end, it's always going to be the grace of God that gets us that last little mile. Whether that's your role as an employer, whether that's in your role as a mom or a mother, whatever that is. But to, this is the list I want to leave you, and I think this is the most profound thing I'm going to say this morning. I didn't, get, I didn't come up with this myself. This is from my friend Dallas Willard. If you want to grow in humility, you need to eat your peas. Mommy knows what's best for you, right? Mommy knows what's best for you, best for you. You've got to eat your peas if you want to grow in humility. So what that means is this. Pretend is the first one. If I want to be humble, that means I stop pretending. I stop pretending. I stop pretending to be something I'm not. I stop pretending to be more important than I am. The truth of my life and the truth of my words, they match exactly. I'm not managing some kind of identity. I don't have a social online presence that I'm worried about becoming a, a social media influencer of some kind and get so many likes and so many people are following me. I don't pretend to be something that I'm not. And when we can become, when we stop playing all of the games, we can learn some lessons about humility. So if I want to become humble, the first P I eat is I don't pretend. The second one, I don't presume. I don't presume on the respect and honor that you need to give me as a way to manipulate a situation, as a way to make others. I don't presume that I deserve the seat at the head of the table. I don't presume that. I don't presume that my way has to be the only way because my way is the right way and everything else is wrong. I don't have to presume that everyone else is not as smart as I am, that they don't know. As... When I stop playing that game of having to presume, I... and so we do it so many ways and so many times. 
I'm not getting my fair handshake. I'm not getting what I deserve. I presume always to, and, and this, is, this comes from pride and the way pride works. Pride is not thinking too highly of ourselves. Pride is you, fa- you fail to value other people the way God values other people. So we think of pride, oh, I'm not supposed to be so proud. I'm not supposed to. The truth is, you are created in the image of God and you are spectacular. But you're broken and you need a Savior. But so often we presume ourselves ahead of other people. If you stop pretending, if you stop presuming, you're going to grow in humility. And the third one is pushing. You don't have to push your will over other people's. You don't have to have it your way. If you learn how you don't have to have it your way, you're going to grow in humility in ways that are incredible and beautiful. So if you want to grow in humility, remember to eat your peas. I don't, I don't pretend. I don't presume. I don't push. And if you can be that way before the Lord and we can be that way with each other, God is going to take care of the other questions that we hold up. So uh, that's for your consideration this morning. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Happy Mother's Day, all you moms out there. Thanks for joining us. Let's uh, stand and sing together.